0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate
1: our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon, or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Welcome back, Jake. Welcome
0: back. Welcome back. You've been gone for three and, <laughs> Too a, half, long. Three and a half years. It's good. <laughs> it feels like it. I was away for just over four weeks, which is insane. Yeah. Um, but no, it was good. Uh, I think we caught up when I was in Dubai on our we last did. episode. So you guys probably know roughly what I've been doing. Yeah. So you're over there for, well, you're in Monaco first for right. AMWC. was in London first, yep. then Zurich with Felix. Yes. Then Monaco, then Dubai. <laughs> Dubai. Wow. So long trip, but nice, no, it was great. Nice was- to come home. Yeah, it's nice. It's a bit cold, though. It's got a bit cold here in yeah. uh, Sydney, a bit fresher. It did. It just changed. Just changed. It, just, it changed just in time for you. And then back to work, still jet-lagged. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. so it's been four or five weeks since we've been in the studio together, and we thought, let's kick things off with an Injector Diaries episode.
0: Yeah. Yes. And our guest, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia... Uh, Samantha Shepard. Samantha, thank you for joining us because this was organized super last minute. One of our guests uh, had to pull out and we put it out to our Patreon group and you said, yay, I'm happy to do it. So introduce yourself, Samantha. Tell us all about you and um, tell us about your background.
2: Yeah. So uh, like you said, I'm Samantha Shepard and uh, I'm a family nurse practitioner that uh, just started My own clinic uh, had been working on it for quite some time and opened my doors and started seeing patients in February. Um, So I will be more than happy to share anything (laughs) I can that people don't already know. But um, I've been in the industry my whole career. I graduated nursing school in uh, 2005 and immediately went right into aesthetics. I spent one year in PACU, which is Post anesthesia care, and I—I uh, I was a misfit. <laughs> I was artistic and uh, didn't really fit in. And I found my my space in aesthetics. Uh, it really appealed to my artistic side. And um, I went to the National Laser Institute right after nursing school, and then uh, started working in aesthetics right out of the gate, pretty much. Um, I started working with an internal medicine doctor out of his practice. Uh, I had a little room and was doing mostly chemical peels and a little laser and a little Botox and a little filler and um, progressed from there. There's a whole long divergent <laughs> story.
0: No, it's awesome. And um,
2: but here I am ha- today.
0: Had you had any treatments before you became an injector or decided to become an injector because often people have a little bit of this and that and they go oh I wonder if I can do this myself so had you dabbled
2: yeah you know I think aesthetics for me was a a real calling um I was I want to say 16 when I started looking for ways to take care of my skin um girls out there will Know about the Clinique skincare kit? It's like three steps. I was using that when I was sixteen, and then there was an esthetician in my tiny little town that was doing microdermabrasion, and I I was in there before I was eighteen, getting microdermabrasion, and I would feel like a rock star when I would come out of there. I just felt amazing. Um, I had a little bit of acne, a um, little bit of self esteem issue, like most teenagers, and I just found that that getting that microdermabrasion, those treatments and those, um, she did some chemical peels on me even uh, just lit me up. And um, I had hair removal by the time I was 20. uh, And then I had my first lip injections at 23. Um, I think I was probably 20. Those twenties kind of run together. So I was probably (laughs) between 23 and 25 or so. uh, So, it's just always been a, uh, fascination. I'm neurotic about my skin. Well, (laughs) I don't know what you're doing now, but it looks
0: pretty good now. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Thank you. Um,
1: you mentioned your artistic side. What, what does that entail? I noticed there's a a painting behind you. Did you do that? Or tell us about your, your artistic sort of inclinations and, and, and sort of how that sort of tied into your aesthetic eye and, and, and drawn you to this side of the industry.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, I did not do this. I got this on uttermost,
3: Right. Okay. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> but I do appreciate it. Uh, so my artistic side, I, I started drawing when I was in, um, in school. I was part of journal clubs when I was in my twenties. We all have these like, you know, periods that we go through of, um, excitement and my my excitement and artistic endeavors led me into starting a collective um, a dance company that was centered on burlesque and um uh, we had people that were ballet dancers and contortionists and um, other uh other arts um, fire dancers and jugglers and we we performed and i did that until I was about Twenty seven or so on the side while I was doing my aesthetic business, mm. and um, eventually grew out of burlesque. Since I'm now in my forties, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's my uh, my artistic background. I, I just love art. I love looking at women. I love looking at beauty. I love looking at pretty skin and um, building people up and making them feel confident and uh, calling out when I see beauty mm. and yeah it's it's a big part
0: of my life that's fascinating yeah. yeah that's cool um i wanted to find out more about atlanta and i have to admit i had to i know roughly where atlanta is but i had to look at a map to work out where exactly georgia is compared to the other states so i think if you walk down the east coast of america you've got north carolina south carolina florida's at the bottom and then georgia's sort of just inland is that correct about new york that's
3: correct no that's yeah. higher up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I meant that lower part right, of America. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of just above Florida, I guess, is what I'm saying. So tell us about, so, you know, the market, the aesthetic. What do people want to look like there? Is it still taboo to have injectables or is everyone rocking, you know, their treatments? And, you know, what, what's the kind of attitude to aesthetics, I guess, where you are?
2: Yeah, there, there's pockets. Um, there's pockets. So I, I used to be a sales rep in Georgia. And so I've seen, I've been inside of many practices here. And so there, there seems to be a segments where people are like, freeze me, give me the lips, (laughs) all the things. And then other practices that I would go to, it would be like little tiny, like not too much, you know, just a little bit. And so like way more subtle and, um, So Atlanta is big and spread out. We have lots of, uh, like, small part of it is city and a lot of suburbs. And it seems like each little neighborhood or suburb has its own aesthetic style. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can find anything you want here. If you want big lips, you can go right down the street. If you want subtle, you can go next door. If you want a forehead tattoo, you can go down (laughs) south. I mean, like, anything.
0: Okay, fair, because, you know, when we think of America, it's super generic and stereotyped, but we think of the Beverly Hills look, and then we think of, you know, maybe a more rural look where it's not as obvious. So you're kind of in between, you can get what you like, I guess.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, awesome. So in terms of Atlanta itself, how busy is it? And, you know, how established is the market to say, California, where we think of Beverly Hills, and, you know, Hollywood and all that kind of stuff? Like, where do you guys fit in the American piece of the puzzle?
2: Yeah, we're babies, I feel I feel there's a lot of room for growth here. Um you can't sling a cat in Atlanta without hitting an injector or a med spa. Like our industry has like just boomed. There's so many people that have opened their own practices and so many med spas. And, um, we are seeing a lot more of, um, you know, I know you guys have a lot of chain Mm. chain clinics. We haven't had that so much before, but we're starting to see more of it and lots of, um, venture capital is coming into mm-hmm. the states and like buying out practices and like really getting in your ear and like making it sound really enticing. So mm-hmm. I imagine that we're, yeah, in our infancy, I think that we have an enormous amount of growth ahead of us.
1: Yeah. So you started working in this sort of situation where you were doing peels and a bit of laser and now you hear you've got your own practice, but I feel there's sort of a lot that's happening in between now and then. So do you want to just sort of fill us in on sort of where you went from that first step and and maybe now to today and you've, you know, you've opened up your own practice and we'll obviously get into that, but I feel we just want to get a little bit more about the journey.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I started in a small mountain town in Western North Carolina. And when I started, people were really scared of Botox. They were really scared of like oculism and there was a lot of education. It was really hard to start a practice and, and um, outside of Bryson City, North Carolina, is super tiny. What year was um, that, do you think? 2005? Okay. Six. Um. Yeah, it, it was difficult. I spent maybe six years doing that. And then I moved to Atlanta because there's a much bigger market. And I started uh, on with a a med spa that was here, and we were doing mostly body contouring and weight loss. And um, I brought on a laser because I loved doing skin. And I was there for about three or four years before I got invited um, by, we had bought a radio frequency device. It was a Viora reaction. they recently were bought by Sinclair. It's a smaller company. And um, they brought me on as a clinical trainer. And I started traveling and, and working as a clinical trainer with them, mm. and then moved into being a sales rep for them. So I had my own territory selling um, radio frequency devices. Mm. And um, from there, I went to Sign Ashore and worked as a practice development consultant for a couple of years, um, I worked for a medical device company that was trying to get traction in the United States called Sebacia. Mm. And we got CE mark approval and in Europe, I was traveling to like Poland a lot and traveling all over us, like a, um, an FDA trial monitor. Um, I've been, I've played a lot in the corporate side of things and I, I love our industry so much there's, I just wanted to be an expert. I wanted to know the marketing side. I wanted to know practice development. I wanted to know how to be a provider. And here I am not knowing anything. I feel like is there's just, you're never going to be an expert. There's so much to learn. And it just grows and changes and is so dynamic it is a super exciting industry to be in I mean you'll never get tired I mean you'll get tired <laughs> but you'll never get bored
0: it's <laughs> true right I, we must know someone with a similar background but I I don't think we've ever had an injector on with that background no not not exactly so like super that interesting yeah how did you square I, I know you're doing education as well as sales but let's You know, your background with sales as well. How did you square in your head of selling versus becoming an injector and kind of treating and and diagnosing rather than just selling? Because that's something that actually many of our particularly nurse practitioners and, and nurses who listen struggle with because in their own background, they've never sold. And suddenly there's a bit of a commercial aspect. So you've kind of come the other way around. So did you find it easier to talk about money and, you know, and take money, et cetera?
2: So that's, that's interesting. When I worked at that men's spa in Atlanta, I sucked. I sucked (laughs) at selling. I hated it. I wouldn't do it. Um, my product would have rotted on my shelf before I would sell something because it just felt so gross. Yeah, And we hired in a consultant to the doctor that I worked for was fantastic. And he brought in a consultant to teach me how to sell. And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Mm. He just taught me how to change my entire mindset, how to change my heart, how to change my perspective. It's really Perspective. And then when I got that in my head, I was like, dude, I'm going to tell everybody about this. And so as a sales rep, that was what I constantly preached when I would go into accounts. Like, this is something you can do from the heart. Mm. And I would always ask them, like, tell me, what is it you think about salespeople? And they would always be like, Well, they're icky, they're gross, they're car salesmen and this and that. And I'm like, that's why you're a terrible salesperson because <laughs> you don't, you, you're identifying sales with this icky gross thing. But why don't you tell me about your products and services and tell me about the, And they would start getting so lit up and so excited. And I would be like, well, there you go. That's all you got to do. Yeah. You just got to just give them why you love what you're doing. Just, and then I, I, uh, I just hit the road with that. And I, I, I got passionate about it. And now in my practice now, it never crosses my mind that I'm selling, um, until I'm on social media. And then I'm like, I don't want to sound salesy on social media Mm. because we're all getting sold to all the time. And it's just so hard Mm. to educate and also sell, especially when you have, um, a vulnerable population and you've got the gift of sales. (laughs) you know, you've got to be careful. It's got to be, you've got to, um, it's like having a, a sword, you know, you, you've got this sword, you've got to be careful cause it's got a sharp edge on it you want to use it for good. Not, not bad. You've got yeah. to be mindful.
1: Yeah. Do you feel that education is enough to sell? And and what I mean by that is people turn up at your clinics or your, or your day spas or med spas because they have, and they have a like a curiosity. They have a need. They've got a concern. And if you genuinely care about that that patient and you're imparting knowledge on them and being very genuine about what what you think would work for them, does the sales almost happen as a byproduct of just being genuine and education? You know, and, and passing on education to your patients. Does it feel like sales feels like you know you're selling a used car to someone, or you're trying to sell them? you know something that they don't need whereas this is more about education and the sales just kind of happen as a byproduct of doing all those things correctly would you say that's would you say that's maybe a, an accurate mindset
2: exactly david i do i think i think that's a great mindset and i i take it even further and i say i i feel like you have to have an emotional connection and an emotional um I bonded with people. I bond with my patients. Um, I know their dogs' names, I know their kids' names, I know they were divorced three times. I know they they're dating. I know their their I know their son has a girlfriend and they they're probably, you know, doing things they shouldn't be doing, you know, like I know <laughs> them and and I know their pain points. And it's not It's not that I've dug in to find their pain points so that I can figure out how to sell them something. I've dug in to find their pain points so I can figure out how I can fix it. I'm a fixer. Mm. I want to. I want to. I want to fix it. I want to. I want to make it better. I want to make you feel better. And so I'm just constantly in my head like, what can I do for this person that's going to give them an elevated sense of self-esteem, an elevated feeling when they look in the mirror, when they you know go out and and do their life. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you're right. It, it's education. And it's also like, a, it's deep, yeah. it's deeper than, than education. It, it's a lot.
0: Yeah. I feel like we I don't know where to sell, we're selling solutions, not products. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big mistakes that I find many clinics make is rather than selling a solution on their price list, they sell meals of filler. And so, you know, they'll have a price for, I don't know, tear trough filler, which is completely arbitrary because they've never met the patient. And then patients come and make it very awkward because they go, oh, I want that. And they kind of point at a menu uh, like price list and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's not necessarily appropriate for you. Let's do a proper consultation and so on. And you almost make a rod for your own back by selling the product rather than Taking a step back and selling the solution, mm. like I'm going to make you look less tired, but how we do that may involve a few steps. So let's have a consult first before we commit to a mill of filler. So I kind of feel like we're selling solutions, and how we get there might be different for every patient. But if we're just selling oh one mill of filler for a lip, then it becomes a bit mm. yucky, tacky, whatever you said, because you just ring fence everyone into lip filler and it might not be appropriate Mm -hmm. for everyone or it might be different for people And people want different types of lip filler and styles and they might need two meals built over time and so on so I sort of feel like we've got away from the solution and we've heavily focused on product particularly Mm -hmm. here in Australia I don't Mm -hmm. know how it is in America but that's how it's sort of advertised here what do you think David?
1: Yeah, it's difficult because you've got a lot of these businesses now that have been bought by large corporations or they're owned by people that have a, a purely monetary driver. And obviously money is important, as I've said many times before, like you'd be kidding yourself to say that the financial side of what we do isn't important because it's a job at the end of the day and this is what we do to provide for our families and our future. So that's a kind of given. But I think that once you start commoditizing these products and start having money as the only driver, then I think it's easy to slip into that mindset of chasing the dollars rather than chasing happy patients that are getting results that make them feel and look good, which is what they come to you for. Mm. Do do you feel that um, when when you're talking to a patient that sometimes um, some of the roadblocks mentally for someone like yourself as a practitioner would be that, oh, that's really expensive, I know my patient can't afford that or I feel bad about telling them that's how much it is because that's a lot of money. And you know, especially at the moment we've got some uncertain economic times all over the world. There's a lot of craziness going on. Do you feel that like sometimes you almost make a decision that the patient can't afford that before you've even spoken to them about it? Or you you sort of you're thinking about the money more than the patient is. Do you think that's a that's an issue or something that you've struggled with in the past?
2: For sure. I I definitely have struggled with that in the past. And sometimes I'll even find myself doing that now, now Mm -hmm. that I'm a practice owner and i'm learn. i'm navigating that new that new part of my career and um trying to figure out like do i put my price list online do i Mm. do like do i do these big packages where i know i'm i I try to go for the result and this is everything you're going to need to get this like this fantastic result and i know this is going to be a home run um it, so yeah, it's something that does come up in my mind, and um, and sometimes I get super surprised. Like I had a patient recently, and we were doing a consultation, and I had in my mind for some reason that I was going to present a partial solution because the the money was in my head. I was like, well, I don't, I'm not going to bring that up because that's that's going to be like twenty five hundred dollars. And she and I just we you know we haven't seen each other in ten years. I have some patients that I saw when I was at the med spa when I first moved here. And so I'm just going to put that off to the side. And then she was like looking over on my counter and she was like, well, well, what's that? And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's this. And she's like, oh, well, what? I think I want to do that. And I was like, okay, well, there's 3k. I just made, I just like, I didn't even expect hmm. her to want to go down that path. And she just sold it to herself, just sitting there like listening to me talk and looking at what I had out on my counter. (laughs) Yeah. So um, when I have my strategy is uh, I always present the most effective home run Mm. and I let the patient decide, like if a $3,600 package is a home run and that's going to get you where you need to be, if that's too much, then um, like a good, better, best, then we go down to the better solution than if, that is not attainable then we go down to the good solution and if we can get good then and you'll be happy with that then you know we can we can start there and then you can go up to the better package later you know i try to create pathways in my practice for patients to get to the home run Mm. um but i always present the home run first just just in case and a lot i mean i'd say seven Mm. six or seven times out of ten they'll go with the home run
1: yeah Especially for patients that sort are of potentially new to these type of treatments, like their first sort of step, maybe that they sort of not even if it's forget about the money, maybe they're just not mentally and emotionally ready for something so drastic. And maybe it's just about taking baby steps first, building the trust, getting them to feel positive about a minimal minimum a minimal treatment or something that just tweaks a little bit of a little bit of what they're concerned about. And then it's sort of like it's like dating, you're not like, you know, someone comes in and you are sort of selling them a $4,000 package, like it's like getting married on the first date. It, it sort of <laughs> feels like it's very, very full on. So do you kind of take that sort of approach as well, where you maybe just, you know, gently, gently introduce them to something that sort of gets them feeling positive and safe? Because sometimes it's not even about the money. It's just, I don't want to look unusual. I'm, I'm scared about my face right. looking different. Is my husband or my wife or whoever is going to notice? Do you sort of, you, you know, that that's, is that an emotional component as well that you deal with?
2: For sure. I, I, what I normally will start with is a package that is, I love skin transformations. Mm. So I usually will lead with that because if I can start a patient on a skin transformation system and I can start them on some micronealing or chemical peels, I get an opportunity to see, does this patient have a strong histamine response? Mm-hmm. Are they going to text me three times in the next week? Because they're having some flaking, are they going to respond really well to the treatment? Are they going to be happy? Is this a happy person? Do we work well together? Mm. Do I enjoy having them in my office? Do I feel like we're connecting? Um, I don't. I, I would say I, I. I would say I never start out with filler on my patients because there's so many things I don't know. There's so many times a patient will say, oh, yeah, I do have endometriosis and interstitial cystitis. And then you're like, (laughs) oh, you're kind of like in that autoimmune category, but they never put it on their paperwork. And you only figure it out as you, you know, you're doing treatments on them and you're kind of seeing what they're all about. So I do feel very much like you said, David, it's like you're dating you're getting to know each other. They've got to trust me, hmm. but I have to trust them. And one of the things that I have learned very quickly is that that trust between a provider and a patient is paramount. And I, I won't touch someone without it. Um, I have I have already started turning patients away for filler because I don't want to. I don't want to have a complication with me as a solo provider that I'm not prepared to hold a hand through while I'm, you know, catering to being a business owner and trying to grow a practice. Like, um, I feel like when you're solo, you have to be so much more careful with the, um, service offerings that you have and with how you move forward with patients. You've got to be a little more careful. You've got to be a little more quick to Mm. refer out, you know, you've you've just got to be very mindful of your situation because you are very much alone in many cases as a solo provider.
0: I really feel like that should be one of our YouTube clips. Got, it's so it. important. I've got it. I've got it <laughs> written down. You know, so many new injectors are so enthusiastic and they want to expand their portfolio and do every treatment under the sun because they sort of feel like, oh, if I don't offer it, I'm, I'm going to lose that patient. But you have the insight to understand, uh, Samantha, that it's it's a risk balance kind of profiling. You're, you're constantly trying to manage, well, what what what's good and and what's actually sensible um you know because you don't want that awkward patient who's there for multiple follow-ups you're treating them for the next year with on and off courses of antibiotics just because you're a bit um gung-ho mm. even though you knew they had an autoimmune history for example so i fully applaud you well done that's that's awesome insight
1: yeah i think that's a i hadn't actually thought about strategy that you just sort of out, you know, sort of laid out there, which I think is really intelligent is that by starting with the smaller treatments, it's about you testing them as much as them testing you and making sure that everyone's comfortable. Because if they're going to have a complete nervous breakdown over a tox treatment, then the prospect of doing filler might not be something that you want to entertain. Yeah. And so I think that's really important. And I think that's something that if um, people are listening to this, maybe go back and rewind and listen to that section, because I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, it's not about hitting a home run, every time (laughs) it's about building a sustainable practice with patients that that you like treating um that like you there's an element of trust you know they're not going to be blowing up your phone 300 times um a day um when you've got other responsibilities such as running a practice i think yeah i think that's really really good advice
0: i I do the same so you know Let's say you've got a patient who comes to you. They're pretty nervous, but ultimately they're wanting a filler treatment. If you do a good consultation, look at the whole face, do the photos and everything, and they also have concerns that would involve using a toxin, it's a great gateway mm. treatment to get them used to sort of some simple injectables where they don't get crazy swelling. Yeah. Risk of bruising is probably less. Uh, it's a much more subtle yeah. result. And you can literally say to them, look, I am a little bit worried about your anxieties that you flagged. Let's do something simpler today. You're still going to get a more subtle result dealing with, you know, lines and wrinkles and frowns and whatever. And then if you like that, cool. Next time we do Mm. some filler. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you go all in doing three or four meals and they're panicking at four in the morning, texting you saying, oh, I'm swollen and it's tender and I don't know what to do that's that's the last thing you want. And yeah. it's so clear in the consult that these people are anxious because they'll tell you. Yeah. And I
1: think what you, what you said, um, Samantha, around being alone, and I think that's something that we're going to focus on a little bit. Um, well, you know, you're part of our, our Patreon group and that we've built a community of practitioners all around the world, nurses and doctors, and, and we understand that being alone is scary and having that support network. So whether it's part of our group or whether it's a group within your local community or people that you connect with at conferences, I think that that sense of community and support with people who are at all stages of their career, whether they be just be, you know starting out or whether they're very experienced, we can all learn something from each other and not feeling alone. And I think paying attention to social media too much where you almost feel you're seeing everyone putting up, you know, six mil transformation treatments and big lips. And it, it can in some ways play into your own psyche around, well, I need to be doing those treatments all the time. Mm. And it almost gives you an unrealistic view of, of what a sensible sustainable practice looks like because not all of those treatments Um, of what people do all day, every day. Most people are doing those things every now and again and they're, they're posting the wow, the wow results and the massive transformations, but you don't need to revolutionize someone's whole face to have a happy patient. And so I think that there's—I don't even know what my point was, but I think it no, can, it's a good point. Commu- I mean, community and pay less attention to social media. Yeah, I, I've, yeah, I've seen your um,
0: Instagram. It's Derma Darling, I think on Instagram. It's great. It's—it's it's really good. You're doing well. But do, do you have a strategy? What are you trying to say in your social media? And, and like David says, what what do you think you should be putting out there as a you know a fairly new injector?
2: Listen, Jake. <laughs> Instagram hates me.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: like I, this algorithm is like Samantha Shepard. We are not showing your shit. We're it's just not, not just it.
0: you. I can tell you. I've. I. I mean, I'm never. I'm never going to give up because it's free advertising. But it's crap now. Let's be honest. It's rubbish.
2: Well, I mean, think about what's happening. You've got more content. Your patient is drinking content through a fire hose and then you've got ai coming in now you've got people just pumping out ai content now you can you can you know ai can create art and imagery and now you can post ai art like there's so much on social media if i had any a bit of advice to give someone i would say hey yeah you got to have social media because people will go to it they will like m- most of my patients come from uh patients that i've seen for you know a while uh that stayed with me on instagram because we met a while back and then they just happened to see that i posted something that day and they're like oh i need my botox that day so i come in um but ai is revolutionizing the way we're marketing instagram is not your marketing people it's not anymore you cannot rely on instagram to be your marketing you can't rely on tiktok to be your marketing my strategy with Instagram and TikTok is purely to talk to my patients. I have like maybe a thousand followers. I don't even know. I don't have a lot of fi- followers, but m- most of my patients are on there, and I chat with them on DMs. Or I, I make videos. Like if I see somebody for for chest wrinkles that day, I'm going to make a video and say, "Hey, this is what you can do for chest wrinkles, and this is how you use your tretinoin at night on your chest or something." And so I, I try to make videos talking to my patients. Mm. Um, but I'm not going on Instagram and TikTok thinking I'm creating this like huge community of people that are going to sing my praises and think that I am awesome because that's not what you can use Instagram for anymore, especially with AI. If that's your strategy, then be prepared to fail. Um, right now my strategy is community. Um, I go out, I go to the, I've got a chamber of commerce event coming up. That's women in business. And I did a big giveaway for that. I've done pop-up events. Um, yeah. Saturday, I'm going to someone down the street is having a trunk show for their high end eyewear. And I'm going to go there. Um, I, I just go, I just go out mm. and wear myself out, Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. just networking and, meeting people face to face because when they, you know, we say, oh, well, you meet people on Instagram uh, or let them see your face and connect with you. Like that's well and good. But if you let them meet you out in the community at the top as far where people, not the top less far
3: the top <laughs> bar, <laughs>
2: they are going to want to do business with you. And those, those little interactions for me have been gold way more than uh instagram Mm. um i did get one patient on tiktok which was (laughs) i I was like you found me on tiktok okay like really bizarre i wasn't expecting it but um there's it's just going to change so rapidly even tiktok sometimes i'm scrolling on there and i'm like is this a real person no it's not it's an Mm. ai like it's already out there we've already been doing this um where to put your marketing dollars right now? That's where I'm. My issue right now is like, okay, so do I do SEO? Well, yeah. no, you can't. You can't just hang your hat on SEO anymore because AI is doing SEO. So I, I found a company yeah. that uses um, AI to look at all of your competitors, and then they will help you craft your blog posts to, like. Fix your AI around your competitors. And like, it's like, it's mind blowing.
3: Yeah. yeah. It's
2: marketing people, my hat's off to you because I don't know how you keep up with it. I mean, and being a solo provider, you're the marketer. So this is like something you're waking up thinking about and like you're having coffee and you're like, AI.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean look you you're totally right. And first I've got some good news. You've actually got one thousand one hundred and thirty-five followers. So it's more than uh, a <laughs> thousand. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, everything that you said is 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 totally true. The the engagement that you're gonna get from particularly Instagram, TikTok's different, it, it scales bigger, but there's much less real life engagement. You know, like you said, you've, you've randomly got one person booking from TikTok, but even that's quite rare. Whereas Instagram, I know for a fact that my followers are you know, all over the place. None of them, or many of them, are never going to book with me. And many of them are injectors. So my, that my strategy on in Instagram is quite different. But if you've got a core hundred 200 of your own patients following you on Instagram, you're connecting with them. You're mm. keeping up to date. You're telling them what you're doing, new products. This is how I treat a particular, you know, complaint, and so on. They will navigate to that. Mm. They, they will stay engaged with you, and they'll they'll still book through there. But you can't market through social media, and that's what we've been trying to do with our mm. little um, it was the deep digital dive yeah. with Rick we're, we're, we're going to record episode 4 next week Yeah, but we've been trying to say very clearly um, on that uh, mini series that you, you know your social media is different from your marketing they are very very different but I think a lot of injectors only use their Instagram as, as everything and then they get very frustrated wondering why they're not getting new patients it's because they're not generally going to come through there anymore it's changed
1: yeah I and mean, even if you just do the math, if you've got a couple of people, a couple of thousand people following you on, on Instagram, I mean, if you've got, if you're seeing like seven patients a day, which I think is sustainable, I think mean, if you're doing like 10, 20, like I know there are people that do those sorts of volumes, but they're probably just quick Botox treatments. They're not probably, you know, this this bespoke mm. um, sort of approach. This is more like the chain clinic approaches to sort of just, you know, pump them in, pump them out as quickly as possible. But I think that you don't, as you said, you don't need, need. Thousands, tens of thousands of people. If you've got a small community of one or two thousand really engaged people, you you will be busy. You'll be really busy doing that. You don't need these mountains of people following you. And plus, your strongest new client acquisition is going to come from word of mouth. So if you've got like a few hundred really happy patients, they're going to tell their they're going to tell their friends. Yeah. And I think that we've lost sight of the power of offering. Everyone's focused on social media and how to be funny and how to put up this meme and show this amazing result just go back to basics, offer good patient experience, have a nice looking clinic, look at the pain points of um, your whole patient experience, that journey, get secret shoppers in, find out how you can improve your process, recruit your 10 best patients and get them to do like a feedback session for you, engage them in your business, engage in your local community, get your website right, Google local business, Just. Back to basics, I think we've just become way too caught up in social media and it's just – it's overly complicated. You know, having 100,000 people following you on the other side of the world is not going to bring patients into your door. So it's it, true. Yeah, it's just – keep uh, it simple.
0: To plug David, if you want a free uh, yeah. business mentoring <laughs> session, become a platinum-tier patron <laughs> and you get 30 <laughs> minutes with him because that was gold. Yeah, that's great. So. Yeah, thank
1: you. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, going and by to- the way, AI – AI? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where's it going to go with this? I mean, do you, do you think eventually you're going to have robots doing injecting and consults? Yes. I mean... I,
0: I, I don't think it's that crazy. I mean, you know, when I was a surgeon, wasn't that long before I became a surgeon that laparoscopic surgery came in. And even though that wasn't a robot... It was quite different. Yeah. Suddenly you're putting a camera in the abdomen and, and using sort of robotic arms, okay. albeit with the surgeon using them. And then we've now moved on to robotic surgery. Yeah. So yeah. why wouldn't you do something that's simpler with a robot? Crazy. Rather than removing someone's colon yeah. or removing a kidney. Mm. Um, I, I think it's pretty logical, but it still seems to be seen as a bit crazy. Yeah. But I, I mean, at the end of the day, you'll still need someone working the robot. Yeah. So we're not going to be unemployed, I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Anyway, we going back to uh, what Samantha said about word of mouth and you know popping down to the local trunk sale and all the rest of it. I think that's brilliant because who's going to book with you? It's going to be people from your local crowd, your local town. Uh, Sally told jane uh, about there's this great injector where you are and suddenly you build this little community women talk that's just yeah. what they do that's why people engage on facebook forums and talk about all this kind of stuff i've had multiple patients come and i don't even know what forum they've come from but they said oh your name popped up several times on a facebook forum mm. and i'm like oh wow okay that's mm. awesome but it's still a word of mouth referral yeah um really silly example (laughs) I got talking to a family in the swimming pool in Dubai and we you know we became good friends and stuff but she even sort of you know divulged oh I've had a bit of treatment and suddenly just because we'd had that face-to-face connection she trusted me and said oh if I'm ever in Sydney I'm definitely coming to you yeah. so it's just she doesn't know anything about my work but yeah. because she's met me and I've spoken a little bit what about what I do the trust has been established. cemented or established yeah. yeah so do it get yourself out yeah there.
1: and I think that people whether they know it or not are actually really Needing human connection, I think that we've become so disconnected. Like we're so, we're more connected. We can hop on our phones and connect with anyone in the world instantly. But having that face to face human connection and that interaction is something that I think most of us don't even realise that we need. Mm,
0: yeah. And I
1: think that that's just as I said, basics. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, most of my patients don't even like calling the clinic now. They want to do it through a text or a book online. They don't like interactivity with people. But like Sam said, you've got to trust them as well as they've got to trust you. So you have to talk. You have to see each other face to face. So I agree with everything. Now talking about trust, Sam, when you trained or, or you're still training presumably and going to courses and things, who do you get the best advice from? Do you think it's pharma? Do you think it's mentors and other injectors? Do you think it's going on courses? Do you think you've got to go to conferences, all of the above? What, what What's the best um, thing that you have experienced so far?
2: That's a good question. Um, it's a soup. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a soup. There's like, there's, there's a lot of different places that I I get training from I I will say um Tim Pierce's complications course was very pivotal for me because I have high anxiety right and uh, that I mean it just it taught me how to talk to my patients ab- about it and and I really like the way he teaches you to to expose yourself to to complications as much as possible and so I've I was in there. They had a WhatsApp group that switched to, to a different platform now, but I was on their WhatsApp and I got so much exposure because every time somebody would have like a bruise or a, a, like a infection or, you know, on the, the occasion that we would have a, um, an actual occlusion come through, uh, we're all working it together and, um, and exposed to it and, uh, but that one was was one of my favorites, and um, Rana Canelli. I've got mm. such a girl crush on her. <laughs> on her her place uh, to train, I just love her, and she probably doesn't even know who I am. But I've got a girl crush on you, Rana.
0: She will now because she listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Rana.
2: Her trainings are fantastic, and I really appreciate the way she is very safety oriented. And I feel like as a solo provider, she is a really good resource because she has that safety first mentality. And I think she was the one that said, I am too old and happy to deal with that kind of complication. Like I really took that to heart and was (laughs) like, me too. I'm too old and happy to deal with that. I don't want to do that. Um, so I really liked her, um, and her training, her, her facility, um, Dr. Swift, of course, Mm. uh, that, that was phenomenal and changed. I mean, that is really helpful for even a new, provider also because it gives you i'm a very much a systems and processes person uh and i love having a system and a process for how i am mapping out a face and how i'm explaining things to a patient um i mean i t- i take things for i mean um inside aesthetics the podcast i literally listen to it every single morning of my <laughs> life i've gone through all of them like oh, wow. I, I went way back when i found you guys i was just so lit up listening to other people's stories and when you guys came out with injector diaries and now the new business um uh focus that you have and the new whatsapp group that you guys have um i get a lot of education through patreon uh through your patreon and ronna's patreon and uh gillian murray yes am yep. i saying her name Gillian Yes, she's fantastic. Thank God for her. Thank God for her studies on um, hyaluronidase. You know, I mean, we have the thing that we have so many fantastic educators, and we have so few. (laughs) Like, there's so many. But there are so few, we're like a bunch of baby birds in our industry and we're all like, our mouths are open and we're just like, somebody give us something to hang our hats on, something that's true, something that's real.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
2: What's a fact? There's not any, because we're, our industry is so new and, and it's not, nothing is going to be the same in a year as it is right now. You know, it's just, it's constantly going to be changing. And so we just have to be okay living in the gray and constantly going and getting education.
0: Yeah. I noticed you didn't mention pharma. So what's your experience been like with pharma and and how did you originally train? I know you said you started a, a, a small sort of room at an aesthetic practice, but like who trained you?
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, my first training was with national laser Institute. They had a two week program at the time. And I remember paying like $7,500 for two weeks and thinking it was like outrageous. (laughs) And now I'm like two weeks or $7,500. I can't, I can't go one day for 11,000. And, you know, some of these, um, So National Laser Institute was my first exposure. And then um, there were some product lines that I I got some good training with PCA when I burned on their peels. Um, I did get some good training through Sinusure, training through Abashi, training through like all the companies that I've worked for. And and as a clinical trainer, for a lot of those, you're given a lot of education to share. And so... um, Skin. Most of my background has been skin.
3: Hmm.
2: Um, As an injector, uh, I've invested so much money. I I did um, advanced aesthetics locally. Um, I've done, I I worked for a plastic surgeon, uh, which was really helpful. Um, I got a lot of exposure there. In terms of pharma, I haven't had a whole lot um, of interaction with with pharma, with, as far as my injecting, um, I've had trainers come in, um, probably two or three. Um, and I think the reason is, is that I place more value on, uh, people that are not affiliated with the companies. I know I fully appreciate the education that, that I've been given.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, like I said, I recently had one and it was really helpful. Um, I had some with Allergan before previously, um, MERS, I've had trainings with them. Uh, so I've had some, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I just get more excited about certain teaching styles and, um, you know, it's a lot of money, (laughs) but it's so worth it. You know, I don't know if that answered the question. I mean, I,
0: no, it does. The short
2: answer is, I've had some good experiences with with pharma trainings, but I don't, I don't, I don't count it if that makes sense. Like I do, but I.
1: Yeah, is that because you think there's a uh, like an element of bias in what they're what they're educating you on?
2: Uh, for sure, there's an no. element of bias, and um, I mean, to, to be honest, I'd have to really sit down and. Uh, have a discussion with myself about, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about why I feel that way. But I, I just, um, I've, I've always been more excited about getting out into the world and like
3: yeah. meeting
2: and, and doing things out there. And I guess because I used to be a clinical trainer, I know what you're getting fed and I know what you're giving out and how your hands are tied and this and that. And so I was never a, an inject injector trainer but i have definitely done my fair share of training on on laser and devices and um it's valuable it's so valuable but at the same time it's it's a foundation it's a this is how you use our product it's not a this is how you inject it's a this is how you lay this down you know it's different it's just different it's a Mm -hmm. it's more of a product um demo that's yeah. kind of how
3: I look
0: at it I, I thought of a good analogy it's a bit like when you go for your driving lessons and your driving test you do it in a very rigid regimented way where you pass the steering wheel between your hands and you you kind of do it in a very uh, on label way and then when you go out in the real world and you're driving you develop your own style and admittedly some bad habits can also creep in, but you do it in a way that's more real world. Is that a good yeah. analogy?
1: Yeah, I just think you need multiple inputs from different people yeah. around, uh, well, the world now because of the global community, but in your local community, different injectors at different levels of experience. I think you need to learn as much as you can from everyone And Pharma is just a very small part. As you said, it's a very robotic, controlled there is an element of bias there. So it should be, it's valuable. I think you should have any free training that you can get, but it's just a small segment of what you should use to educate yourself on. So I think there's people out there who just rely on pharma training. I think that they're cutting themselves short and not really looking into things deeply enough mm. and really exploring because there's so many different And The thing with medicine and I think a lot of people forget this because as human beings, we're just extremely arrogant. We forget that what we know today will be disproven or there'll be a better way to do it in, in five years time or even less, even less now, because things are moving exponentially faster. So I think it's just having that level of humility and always wanting to learn um, and always looking to reflect on what you were told before and, and sort of testing that. Um, I mean, the pharma reps that came in when I started 15, 20 years ago, didn't even know what a vascular occlusion was. No one knew what it was. So and if that was where your education stopped, We'd all be in a lot of trouble. So yeah. I
0: mean, you know, having done the job myself and, and taught for farmer, I think the the greatest value of it is they know their product. Yeah. So particularly for a new product that comes on the market, they have got as much as, as experience as possible they've got mm-hmm. as as much data, both of, um, you know, efficacy, but also complications. And, you know, they don't say that they know everything. We have advisory yeah. boards where we sit around the mm-hmm. table after some early experience and we go, okay, how's it going? Yeah. What what weird things have happened that we weren't anticipating and how do we sort of improve things? So yeah. there is a lot of value there, but I appreciate it's it's a little bit skewed. And of course, there's a bit of commercial aspect to it too, but it's not it's just different. Like you said, it's a soup and you have to take lots of different parts of education to Mm. create a a total uh, 360 view of what we're actually doing.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah. Um, In terms of brands then, so if you haven't done much with Pharma, how have you kind of decided, okay, I'm going to do these techniques and I like these products and I don't like these products. How, how did you sort of muddle through that? Because I think we're all still muddling through that, to be honest. And here in Australia, we've got new things coming and mm. a new toxin launched just, what, three days yeah. ago? Yep. So there's a lot of questions from injectors. I've already been kind... injected by it. Have you? Yeah, I've already I got... thought you looked a bit weird I've got, I got the TV on board, yeah. <laughs> Joking, it looks, it looks fine. Um, but uh, yeah, h- how did you make those decisions? Because I think a lot of new injectors feel anxiety that there's too much stuff and they're overloaded with with choice
2: sure uh that's a good question i i i started out in a in a plastic surgeon's office using a lot of allergan products Mm -hmm. and i liked them i had a good experience with with them and then i i switched to galderma at another med spa and so i played mostly with galderma for a year or two And then I had some trainings with, um, Dr. Swift and, um, uh, he, he does at the, at the time, I mean, this was like five or six years ago. He, he did a lot with restolin um, products and, um, I was like, well, if it's good enough for him, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna get comfortable with it. And then, uh, so now, um, I, I will pull from all of them. I try to, uh, just, I pick and choose which ones I like out of, out of each one. And RHA is, uh, new to me. I'm, I'm trialing it right now. Um, we've, we've got some verses. these, so these things for me are new because when I started, it was like Allergan and galderma. Mm. And then I took a break from injecting to go back to NP school. And, um, so I'm just now getting, I'm just catching up to everybody. Um, that's been using RHA. And uh, anyway, so I just, um, I play with it and see what I like. I do a lot, a lot more Galderma than anything else.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Can we talk about your business a little bit now? Because um, I feel that's sort of where we're at now in the conversation. We've heard about all your journey to date and and your thoughts and your your philosophies on how you treat, but now you've ventured into opening up your own practice. And um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure we've got lots of things to talk about there. So maybe let's just start with what was the impetus to just go on and, and sort of take this, this, this risk um, and all the stress and capital <laughs> expenditure and unknowns? I mean, you spend all this time educating yourself on, on you know, the medical side of things and injecting and, and the science, but now you're sort of transitioning into being a, an entrepreneur slash business owner. So what, what was that decision process like? like? What motivated you to do it? And maybe just tell us a little bit
0: about your practice as well. And just to, well, just to drop in as well, I think when we first organized this, you said to me, you're crying every third day because it's harder than I thought it would be.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. I inject two days and then I cry one day.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I just take turns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so I started out thinking, uh, you know what, I, I actually didn't feel safe as an RN injector, because in the States there, uh, each state has its own laws and a lot are gray and um, it's messy. And uh, nurse injectors are often alone and we're often, um, we call them 1099s, we're often contract employees. And uh, we take on a lot of liability and Sometimes we don't even know the liability that we are taking on. Like one of my jobs, I'm pretty sure did not have a medical director for a portion of time that I was there because I suddenly couldn't call in a prescription <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't feel safe. And I was like, you know what, there has to be a better way um, working in this industry that I love so much. I want to feel safe. I want control. Mm. I want to know who the medical director is. Can I get in touch with the medical director? Can I handle this complication? Do I have the support I need? Um are my patients being taken care of? Like, you know, you go to work for someone else and sometimes they have really lovely protocols where they're fielding calls for you, but then something gets through the cracks and you didn't know about it until like five days later. And you're like, holy shit, I didn't know that you had that issue. <laughs> and um, I think I am a little bit of a control freak um, when it comes to my relationships with my patients and um, the care that I'm giving. And uh, and I found it difficult as an employee to give as much as I have in me to give, if that makes any sense. So I just knew that um, I'm neurotic. I will give something 110%. I will think about it day and night. And I would I might as well be doing that for myself because I'm damn sure doing it for other people, you know? So, so I just made the decision, you know, if I'm going to have sleepless nights and be up thinking about how to get donut glazed skin all the time, then maybe I should be doing that uh, under Dermadarling and not, you know, someone who's not. (laughs) Well,
0: I know this isn't a job interview and we just had a, a slight interlude where your internet dropped off, but I said to David, I would definitely employ her because <laughs> I love your attitude. It's so, that's what you want from not just an injector, but you want that from your person who's looking after you. If you're the patient, you want that person losing sleep over you. Really, you do. Because uh, if they don't care enough, then why would you go to that person? You could find someone who does care. So I, I, I love your attitude. And I think we've got similar issues with with mm. the guidelines and regulations mm. and and that weird grey zone between um, responsibility yeah. here. What, what do you think?
1: Oh, I think the whole industry worldwide is just – biz- the, the The industry has grown faster than regulation has been able to keep up. And I think they're now – like I'm not too familiar with what's going on in the States, but definitely here we've just had some bombshells drop. We've actually got a podcast after this um, where we'll be covering some of that, that stuff with someone else. But – you know, we've got big changes happening. We've got all the chain clinics now that have been bought out by large corporations. We've got weird things going on with the economy. We've got new products coming out. We've got new guide, like it's just, there's so much happening so quickly. I think it's very unnerving for mm. everyone involved. Everyone's trying to get their head around, you know, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. What's this interpretation mean? How do I make sure my practice is safe? How do I select the right patients? How do I get the right team to work with me? I just think that um, we're moving faster than what we're able to sort of process and, and keep up with from just a, you know being sensible and a, and a regulatory perspective.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So in terms of your practice, where is it? What does it look like? How many rooms are there? Are you the only staff? Just give us a flavor of what it looks like. And is it called Derma Darling? What's it called?
2: It's called Derma Darling. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's Derma Darling. So my my goal over the next two years is to have a, um, a brick and mortar-like place right now I'm renting a room in a salon loft place. Um and when I first decided what I was going to do, I was like, do I want to be there? Or patients going to be comfortable coming there? And then I did a ton of research and found a bunch of other nurses that were renting in these lofts. It's like a it's a big building and there's a bunch of the other businesses and you each rent like your 90 mm. square feet of heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got like this really cool lash girl that's next to me who I'm doing Pilates with in the morning. Mm. And then I've got another girl that's sending me patients down that's like doing my hair. And like we're just kinda, you know, um, being solo is difficult because especially if you're a people person like I am and you're used to like going up and just shooting the breeze with your front staff. <laughs> when you don't have a print staff anymore and you're talking to the walls in between patients, <laughs> it's time to meander out and meet other people. Yeah. So I, I like being where I'm at, but I, um, I do want my own spot, but I didn't want to take on a five year lease, um, before I had at least 200 patients on my books. I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to build up. I'm going to get 200 patients on my mm-hmm. books. And at that time I will sign a lease.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but for now, uh, yeah, I want to. I just want to dig my toes in deep and um, go deep into my community and start small and um, hopefully grow this baby.
1: Yeah, and what have been the biggest challenges to date?
2: Uh, you know what? I think having a life.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't do a lot outside of. Um, training, educating, like myself, by going, I, I am constantly researching. I'm constantly, uh, trying to make videos. I'm constantly going to networking events. Um, it's an extreme amount of work. And I feel like if you are, if you're passionate about this, you'll be okay. But if you're coming into it, cause you're like, I'm going to make some money, yeah. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to sink like a, I don't know, like you're ti- going to sink because like Titanic. It, yeah. takes so <laughs> <lot>. <laughs> it takes so much out of you because for me, it's, it's my, it's, it's my soul. It's my baby. It's my, um, my way of connecting in the world. It's my, um, I'm putting myself out there and, and it's like works and all, and yeah. here it is. And, Um, that's the hardest thing about this is putting yourself out there. Um, you're not going to be for everybody. You're going to, you know, potentially get a negative review at some point in your life and it's going to suck. Um, that's very difficult. It's difficult to, um, it's difficult to separate mm. business and normal life. Like, I've probably gained 10 pounds since I started doing mm. this because I I find it challenging to work out. Because when I get home after I've seen patients yeah. all day, I'm like, what is the best sunscreen to keep your melasma <laughs> from coming back? I <laughs> yeah. really need to dive into this. Like, yeah. t- tented? Yeah. Uh, why? You know, like, and then I go home and I'm like, how do these? estheticians get this beautiful glow after they do their microneedling what are they putting on the skin in? and then i'm like you know mad like crazy person in my computer trying to figure out how can i get the most amazing experience for my patients like i'm obsessed with my patients i think about them constantly yeah we text each other a fair amount most of my patients like like you jake they they don't call Um, I think I've gotten one phone call in three months. It's all texting. Mm. Um, so you're constantly texting and, um, my patients will be like, Hey, Samantha, do I put my Tretinoin on before my moisturizer or my, you know, just little things. Mm. And I, but I enjoy, I enjoy it. I enjoy giving. I try I'm, I'm trying to balance mm. and, uh, cook dinner for my husband and walk my dog and like mm. go to Pilates. Uh, but it's, it's just, yeah, I, I hyper-focus and neurotic. And so that's, that's, that's my challenge.
0: Just, just one caveat. Um, I didn't mean that my patients text me because I used to do that years ago, and it's great. You're, you're offering amazing customer service, and you're accessible, and so on. But it comes to a point where boundaries are breached. I think, and you know, they're texting you at nine o'clock at night and six in the morning, and there's a sort of a professional boundary that gets blurred with not friends, but it, it's, it becomes unprofessional. Mm. And as soon as things go awry, if there's a problem, I think the best, David actually taught me this, if something is gone wrong and you need to discuss something that's awkward or difficult or scary, even the best way is to pick up a phone or see someone face to face, because as soon as it's a text argument sometimes it gets very quickly out of control and mm-hmm. i think you taught me that <laughs> well, so, we have it in
1: between us all the time yeah we'll have a message where you know you might interpret or i might interpret that you've been rude or i you know, i've because inter- when it's so just in the written form you've got no there's no nuance there. You can't hear the tone, the context, mm. and it just it can unnecessarily cause things to escalate or people to feel things that aren't, that aren't a reality. So I think that it is effective, but I think we, we lean on it too much. Yeah.
0: Um, um, yeah. You can still use the text form, but maybe do it through a work email. So, you know, if the regulator ever for whatever reason gets involved, you can say, oh, look, everything's done through work. It's not on my personal phone. It just looks better. It's a perception. Mm. I don't know. What do yeah. you think?
1: I think so. I mean, I think that it's hard because I'm not a practitioner. I'm just thinking at it from from a business perspective and risk mitigation perspective. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, it's difficult. I, I think that you, in, all, in some ways it, you create a rod for your own back in the future because there's just that expectation that you're going to respond all the time. And if you don't respond within a certain period of time, Maybe because if you've got 200 patients now in a year's time, you might have 500 patients, you're, <laughs> you're going to have the bandwidth to do that. yeah. And if some of those patients who you've built up the expectation that you're going to respond to them, all of a sudden you don't have time, what does that do to that relationship? So it's not that it's wrong or right. It's, it's just things to think about, I guess.
0: Yeah, as you scale, it become harder, I, I guess is the bottom line. But it's amazing. Your patients are you know, getting the right information directly from you. And most clinics can't do that. So yeah. it's great, but just think about how it scales and, yeah. and some of the risks with it. Yeah.
2: I do use a platform that's for texting. So it's not my personal oh, number, or my personal great. phone. Um, so, but you have, you have to make that texting available because they want to do it and mm-hmm. they want to do it like they, they want to do it right now. So all of my patients typically will go online and book yep. themselves. Yep. themselves. But I do, yeah, the, the texting, I've tried to set it up to where when I'm ready to expand and have a virtual assistant or mm-hmm. an assistant or a front desk person, or yep. you know however I choose to grow, that person can manage all of my communication there. That's awesome. And it's owned by the company and not, it's not my phone and my phone number and my responsibility all the time. Yeah. So I'm hoping... That I had, I'm hoping that I made a good decision with
0: that. What's the platform you're using out of interest? What's it called?
2: I use Textable.
0: Textable. So, is it, how how does it work?
2: Uh, So, let me back up and tell you that I know absolutely nothing about IT. (laughs) And I have a husband who's an engineer who, like, goes in and just I, I the man I think created our own phone line through thin air. I don't know what he did. <laughs> so right. we're able, we use like one platform for um, their phone calls to come in, and it's uh, ground wire I think, and then textable through our texting and there may be i'm sure there is a way to get it all central mm. um but we couldn't find a platform that we liked mm. and he was like i'm just gonna build it and i was like okay you <laughs> build that thing i'll use it and so that's what we're doing that's yeah.
0: awesome yeah it's a struggle with every clinic i've ever met yeah. and we've discussed multiple crm platforms and none of them are perfect i don't yeah. think yeah so no. yeah i just wanted to touch on something that you spoke about
1: samantha which was you know right at the beginning of when we were asking about your business you said you you know, it was scary putting yourself out there. And um, I think it's something that as a society we've sort of forgotten that, like, we've all grown up in a world where, like, most of the things that have already been invented. Um, and we grew up in a world where, you know, we had planes, you know, mobile phones came along fairly easy, like all the things that we, we live in a very easy society compared to say our ancestors or our great, great grandparents. And I think we've, we've built this culture of, if someone fails, we're all there to laugh at them and point at them and say, oh, see, you screwed up. You made a mistake, you failed. Um, I saw this other day with um, Elon Musk and we're not, I don't want to get into the politics of him or you know, anything to do with you know, his position on things, but just someone who's gone out there and he put this rocket into space. And it crashed. And I saw these people online like laughing and jeering and sort of really happy that he failed. And I'm thinking, what is is wrong with us? What is wrong with us as a society where we celebrate other people's failures?
3: Mm.
1: Because if we had that attitude, we wouldn't be living in the world we live in today. It was the brave people that came before us that were willing to take those risks and to put themselves out there and be prepared to fail because you don't get everything right the first time. All the things that we have today didn't, weren't just invented out of thin air because someone had a crack at it one time and nailed it. It's been a process of evolution and failure and someone take, standing on the shoulders of someone that came before them. So I just wanted to say you know, how commendable it is that you've gone out there, you've taken the risk, you've started your business, you're putting your heart and your soul out there and you're being genuine and true to yourself. And I think that it's just in such an important message as a society that we're more kind to each other and that when we see people fail, we're not there to jump on them and laugh is to actually support them and pick them up and continue to innovate and be brave as, as I guess as a as a species because it's it's quite toxic at the moment. So well done to you and um, I know how hard it is.
0: Yes, clap. I'm clapping. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also because if oh. your attitude you're you're living it, you're breathing it, you're taking it home and you're sleeping and thinking about aesthetics, it's that's the attitude you're going yeah. you, where you're going to win. But if you like you said if you go into this for the money, you, you can't it, it yeah. will fall flat on its face very quickly because if you're not passionate enough if you don't care enough if you don't educate yourself enough and if you don't try all those different products just to see what happens you you can't learn It's, Mm. it's just not possible absolutely
1: what are the fears and and sort of have you sort of dealt with those have you got contingencies in place because mistakes will happen you'll learn something tomorrow that you thought was correct today and then you realize it wasn't and so what are your fears and and sort of what's your plans for the future
2: yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for those kind words, because I will hold on to that forever. Oh, I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, my fears. Uh, well, my fears are of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not one of the first ones to bring stuff on. Like all of my friends are like, Samantha, you're the skin girl. You need to have sculpture. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? And I'm like, you know why? Because I'm by myself and I you know, I, I know we, we can get nodules with Sculptra and I know that we've got new ways of injecting it and it's way better now, but you know, I can't control it. I can't like, sometimes patients come back and they're like, my face feels fat. And I'm like, you know what? That's not a home run for me. It's not, it's not a home run for me. I like home runs. (laughs) So I I like being able to control things as much as I can. So I guess a fear of mine is loss of control. Um, I don't like that. I'm not one bit. And so I do a lot to mitigate that. Um, I have a local group of injectors that I put together. We're all actually having dinner on Thursday so we can kind of be there for each other. Like mm-hmm. someone has an occlusion. Okay, who has an ultrasound? Mm-hmm. Who's good with ultrasound? Um, who has a relationship with an oculoplastic guy? Who, who can we go to if we have um god forbid a, a, a complication that's ocular you mm, know yeah. like we don't know everything i don't know everything and that's my fear that's why i'm constantly learning and constantly listening to your podcast mm. i'm just you know those are my fears my fears are there's so much i don't know yeah and so uh yeah i'm constantly trying to surround myself with other with my colleagues with my neighbor injectors um i'm on a couple of different whatsapps of of people that i can reach out to i've had complications where i've reached out to people on whatsapp and a doctor from the uk called me and facetimed with my patient at the time i mean like Mm. those are my fears i fear the unknown and i fear not being able to fix it yeah you know
0: do you think that having your corporate background, having worked with all the other companies and being good at sales, et cetera. Do you think that that has helped you maybe conquer some of the fears that maybe other injectors have when they're embarking on opening a space, albeit, you know, you're, you haven't bought a bricks and mortar clinic. You're, 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 sharing a space at the moment.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's, I realized how many places open and, Invest heavily in devices that um, (laughs) rot (laughs) Mm -hmm. and cost them a lot of headache and Mm -hmm. heartache, and um, it has helped me coming in being a salesperson who has told people, and I hate to say this, that you can fly to the moon on your laser. (laughs) Like I, I did that. I I regret those those times in my life sometimes when I look back and I think I shouldn't have sold that laser to that person because I don't know how they're going to actually be successful with it. You know, I do have moments where I think back on that stuff and I'm like, Oh, if I didn't know if I didn't go through that, then, uh, I would have made mistakes. I would have been like, I'm going to buy this and that. And I mean, Morpheus eight and, and like, I'm going to bring all the things on. I'm going to put in the $20,000 filler order so I can get a free training next month. You know, I, I would have made those mistakes and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm not making those mistakes. Although I will say that I, I sometimes think that if you don't have the history of corporate that you maybe can be more successful because you don't know Mm. how bad you can fail and, and lose, uh, you know, $300,000, um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Absolutely.
0: I think David's got a lot of empathy with that. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I think a lot of people fall down
1: that device trap where they want to have every, they want to be, they want to be the clinic that offers everything to everybody, and it's impossible. Even if you had limitless money, are you got the, the mental bandwidth? Do you want to set up a business where you're potentially looking at inefficiencies? You've got high costs every week. Like it's just. I think pick your niche, keep your costs low, be sensible, grow slowly, don't take unnecessary financial risks and don't let things get out of control. And I've seen that happen before. So I think what you're doing is a a very, very sensible approach, which kind of leads me to sort of one of the sort of final questions before we get into our sort of rapid fire um, sort of one word (laughs) answers that we we sort of do with everyone on these injected diaries towards the end, which is Where do you see your business going in the next sort of period of time, you know, the next sort of two to three years, maybe in the long term as well? Um, What does success look like for you?
2: Uh, Happiness, more Mm. life balance, uh, happy patience. For me, I I had this idea that I was going to specialize in like full-face transformations. And so I put all these packages together Mm -hmm. and like, gosh, my clientele has really like, pushed me in in a different direction. And so I'm, I'm actually trying to be a little open-minded with how this baby, uh, how this baby grows up and watching the personality grow because um, it's kind of its own thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you make it, but then it kind of evolves on its own and you try to direct it as best you can. That's, that's kind of my take. Within five years, I would like to have, you know, a, a little slice of heaven and maybe three treatment rooms and maybe, maybe a front desk person. I, I don't have big goals of, you know, massive like three or four clinics or being mm-hmm. the biggest place or anything like that. I, I, I want a close knit community. I want I want to be a pillar of my community. I, I want to be useful here yeah. in Roswell, Georgia. Um,
3: I
0: think that's great. I think that's a nice, sensible plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So rapid fire questions. So maybe you've already answered some of these, but what's your number one toxin and why?
2: Uh, I use all of them for different reasons, but I probably pulled this part more often just mm-hmm. because um, I'm comfortable with it. I do give patients some options sometimes, um, and I'm kind of getting away from giving them options because then it takes me out of the driver's seat. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I don't like saying, so we offer ZMn for $10 a unit and Disport for $12 a unit and this Botox for $14 a unit, but we have trained our market here in Atlanta to mm. go buy the units and, um, buy the syringe. And, um, so that that's a little bit of a challenge. Disport, anyways, to answer your question, Dysport. Okay.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, same question again, but for filler and I guess the sort of, to sort of, uh, qualify the question a little further. Like if you had one filler that you could only use for the rest of your life to treat everything, what would it be? Uh,
2: probably Restylane classic.
1: Okay. What's classic equivalent to? Is that just regular Restylane? I have to admit, I have no idea.
0: It's just standard Restylane. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which was the original filler. It was. Which was used everywhere. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. Um, I don't know if, if you're sort of um, using cannula much in your practice yet, but if you do, which cannula make do you prefer and also size and why?
2: Okay. So cannula and I have a relationship that is developing.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're still at second uh, base, I, not fourth base.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
2: so you remember how I talked about a control freak thing? Well, yeah. I feel like I have more control with needles and I keep taking – cannula trainings and i keep getting back to the point of i like needles way more Mm -hmm. so uh i don't i don't have a favorite cannula that's an area of my practice that i need to grow um and get more comfortable with i can't even tell you i know that i've i think i've got tsk in my cabinet and i've pulled it i've pulled it's a 25 gauge i think it might be two inch or something and Mm. i've pulled it out maybe three times i've got a half a box in there yeah usually what will happen is i'll start injecting with it and i'll be like no i need my needle and i'll take it out and i'll go back with my needle where i'm like i know exactly where i'm going this is where it goes that makes
0: complete sense i mean intuitively uh, as a maybe a newer injector there's less distance between the syringe and the end of the needle versus a cannula so you have more confidence and you can feel the bone if you're on the bone and so on so it, it does make more sense what you're saying um and, you know, I know some very experienced injectors who still prefer needle, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Um,
3: yeah, So for
0: courses. There's no wrong
1: answers. Yeah. All right. Aspiration. Yes or no? Yes or no? <laughs> and, yeah. and And why or why not? Yeah? Yeah, you do?
2: I do, especially if I'm doing piriform mm-hmm. or even lateral cheek. Um, I... I like safety. I like, I, even if I know that, you know what, there very well could be a vessel that I'm in. I just, I like the process of, uh,
0: doing something,
2: having (laughs) some sort of safety mechanism. It gives me, Back to the control. I'm probably gonna need a therapy session uh-huh. after this because I'm realizing like control is a big word in my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh I like I like to have some kind of control over. It, and I feel like at least if I'm aspirating, I have some kind of control over mm. where my needle is, even though that might that might be a false sense of security. It's always in my head like. This is a false sense of security, so I damn well know where all my arteries are. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's well cool. where where we think they, they should be if there's not a lot of variation.
0: Yeah, mm. fair. Now, what's been the best book or course or any other, I guess, educational opportunity that's most improved your practice?
2: your podcast oh, wow. really? has been huge. Oh, yes. Like I loved when you guys had Michael Kane on. I loved when you, ha- I mean, like you just have such wonderful educators that come on and it's people that I'm like, I want to know their story. I want to see where they started. I'm always surprised when someone's like, I started in a closet or I started <laughs> in my basement or I'm, here, and I'm like, what? Yeah. Well, oh, that's amazing. Uh, you know, and it, it, just, it, it's, uh, it lights me on fire to listen to your, your podcast. I'm not just saying that cause you guys are awesome. I'm just saying, uh, it's been very helpful to me. Um, I also um, found Anita East's book oh, through your podcast great. and I have that sitting on my bedside table. I love that book. Um, I think it speaks to me very much. Uh, I could go on and on. Patreon um, has been really helpful to me in a lot of ways also. So many. So there's-
0: Thank you. That's I- that's really nice to hear. If you don't mind, because like, there'll be some listeners who are new to the podcast who don't know what Patreon is, and you are one of our patrons. Could can can you just explain, I guess, what it is and... and- what it offers you? Like, what do you do with it every week or every day? Like how, how do you engage with it? Cause everyone does it slightly differently. Some people are just there for the WhatsApp. Yeah. Other people are there for mainly the education and none of the WhatsApp. So how, mm. how do you use it?
2: I I use all of it. Um I, like I said, I'm very tribal community oriented. So I appreciate very much having the WhatsApp and being able to see like Negronis posted every Thursday. <laughs> <on> their- <laughs> like I, I like, I like that very much. I I like how accessible um, you guys are. I know that may not be able to continue as you grow, but that is very helpful. Um, The Patreon app, I really like watching um, videos of um, your talks, treatment and the way you're treating. um, What were you doing the other day that I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I don't remember. There was some some video that I saw that you had posted and it was like tattoos.
0: Yeah. It was uh, one of my patients who, you know, has tattoos, a lot of them all over. And we just got talking about fillers because we were talking about fillers and she said, Oh, just randomly. I thought I'd let you know every time I'm sick or feeling fluey or whatever, I've noticed that my tattoos raise Mm -hmm. and sort of become more prominent, almost like, yeah, bubbly, like a keloid. And she said, I just thought I'd, Tell you and I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting, and we got talking about the immune system and how yeah really a tattoo's just just an implant yeah. in your dermis, yeah. And it's the same probable reaction that yeah. I'd never heard of because I don't have tattoos, but yeah. you do.
1: Yeah, no, I've had the same. If I get sick, I'll get less, sometimes and my shoulder a little bit bubbly. But... Mm.
0: So anyway, yeah, so so just weird content that I tend to throw up every Monday in our hints and tips mm. sort of section.
2: Yeah, it, it just makes your brain just go. You're like, you know what? That makes that makes sense. Like there's probably some sort of histamine issue there. Like maybe this it, when you inject that person, or anytime I inject somebody uh, that has the anything weird like that, I'm always like, "Your body may not play nice. We're gonna have to watch you close." Mm-hmm. You know, like those things make you think, and that's how we grow. Like we don't necessarily grow just by going to conferences. You know, yeah. we we've got to share our experience with each other, and I think that's a huge benefit. Is how what you guys are doing you're sharing real life clinical experiences and giving a real life look into, um, clinical application and what you can expect out there. And it's not a glossy marketed image. It's like, this is, this is how it is. This is, this is what you may run into. And I think that, um, we're starving for what you're offering as an industry. And I think it's fantastic.
0: That's, thank awesome. You. that's awesome and then of course all the stuff that Dave is doing the business which I think people are even more starving for <laughs> that stuff is even less accessible yeah so
1: well done yeah. no, mate no thank you it's exciting it's, it's good to have these conversations I actually had someone from the Patreon group message me this morning for they want to do one of the 30 minute consults which there they agreed right. agree to film so that'll be up soon and yeah we'll, we'll keep doing what we do but thank you so much for the lovely feedback and it was so nice to chat to you and thank you for coming on at short notice and um, it's been a really fascinating chat very inspiring and looking forward to staying in touch with you and maybe meeting you one day in person
0: yeah i've been honestly i've been super impressed with everything that you've said just your attitude your your approach to aesthetics is exactly what we should be doing or in my opinion my humble opinion um so keep doing what you're doing you're doing great and um yeah we'd love to see you so if we ever do an ia live event in america or if you want to come to sydney we're loosely talking about something 2024 who knows yeah we'd love to have you
2: Oh, I'll be there. Bell's on. Thank you. The girl is on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Thanks, Samantha. We'll take care and have a lovely day and good luck with, with all your injecting in your new clinic.
2: Kinda nice to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics.
1: Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.